Scott Squared and Emily the Embellisher bringing you yet another mediocre snowboard podcast where we not only welcome you into our snowboard fam, but we bring the snowboard fam experience to you. A fun, laid back, and informational approach to the snowboard and snowboard community that you're going to love whether you snowboarded once, twice, or are the best snowboarder on the mountain. But don't get too excited. We're still better than you. Whether you're on the early morning drive, carving up your favorite trail, or are about to send it off a gnarly jump, listen in for some fast facts and a possible laugh. So friends, lower that chairlift bar, keep your tip up, and get ready for some snowboard speak. What up, snowboard fam? Did everyone hear that? I said, snowboard fam. I convinced my two lovely co-hosts here that we should become Snowboard Speak, a snowboard podcast. We are no longer Ski Speak. No more of that Ski Fam shit. (laughs) (laughs) Good riddance. This is Tardif, aka Tardigrade. I am the original snowboarder of the group. Emily, bigger archer, newly transformed snowboarder. Yeah, so I meant to say transitioned, not transformed. With our new identity, we are trying to be more accountable and call out our mistakes live on the air. So keep an ear out for all of the buzzers. There are a lot of them. Emily, bigger archer, newly transformed snowboarder, still getting awesome air. And I am Scott, hot brown honey, still the best skier on the mountain. False. Despite being a snowboarder. <laughs> I have to say that I'm so excited that we're doing this and that we're getting rid of ski speak and became a snowboard podcast. In preparation for this episode, because we're going to be talking about the history of snowboarding, I am just so excited to share, I don't know, just all of that I've learned. And not only is it way cooler than skiing, it's also way more fun. Yeah. And let's be real. Nobody liked that ski podcast we did anyway. That was such a piece of crap. (laughs) This is going to be so much cooler. The sport of snowboarding is way cooler than skiing. So I'm excited too. We've completely rebranded and changed our logo, our social media accounts, and we have an updated website, snowboardspeakpod.com. Go check it out. Yeah, and so in our first episodes of that ski speak garbage, we kept bashing snowboarders, but we hate skiers. I don't like skiers. (laughs) There's so many reasons why I don't like skiers. There's way too much gear to worry about. You have two poles, you have two objects under your feet. Why not just one simple board? Yeah, you guys heard um, in one of those, again, crappy Ski Speak episodes, the story of Sticks Up Russ. That would have never happened. He would have never had a chance of impaling people with his ski poles (laughs) if he would have just snowboarded from the start. Yeah, I almost poked Emily in the eye with her ski poles. (laughs) Yeah, yes, you did. And I feel like even with the skis having different blades and then you go to hold them over your shoulder, they kind of splay apart. And then you can just like slice somebody's throat with them. They can be used as weapons. Definitely. Yeah. And speaking of holding them, oftentimes I have to carry Emily's skis or her poles. Nobody's ever carrying my snowboard for me, but I have to carry Emily's skis. Terrible. You don't carry my skis. You carry my poles. Well, did anyway. 
maybe in this new world we live in, Emily will carry her snowboard and your snowboard <laughs> to make up for all the years that you've carried her skis. Yeah. And if she does, she'll only be carrying two objects. That's so. true. Exactly. Which is still half. Again, I'll just say snowboarder greater than skiing. Snowboarder. Ugh. I meant snowboarding. Also, I am the first one to get ready at the car when it comes to putting on gear. It's way easier for me to put on my boots. I can run around in my boots. <laughs> I can run, literally run circles around the skiers. Literally. And dance better, that opray. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> I can. <laughs> Snowboard boots are far superior to ski boots. Yes. It's like walking on pillowy clouds. I am so excited that I've ditched my ugly, uncomfortable plastic ski boots for something that actually is nice to walk in and to stand in those long lines or whatever we're doing. I'm excited to get rid of them. Yeah, ski boots are the worst. They're terrible. They're uncomfortable. All I want to do is complain. All I did do is complain. Yeah, we've already complained about this plenty of times. So the boots are greater. The fact that my snowboard doesn't come off ever when I'm snowboarding is fantastic. Skis, they pop off quite often, as we've talked about ejector boy. <laughs> yeah, mine used to always pop off. But you're right. I have never once seen a snowboarder lose his snowboard. <laughs> And so the term yard sale, where you lose all of your products, that's really a skier term more so than a snowboard term. Yeah, I have had many a yard sale, so I'm excited to be in this new world. A whole new world. <laughs> <laughs> Retaining all of your gear. <laughs> yes, yes. We've also joked before that snowboarders created moguls, right, Emily? All those piles of snow. But no more. Because it's not actually true. And it's really skiers that create all those moguls that you have to deal with when you're on the mountain. That's pretty annoying. Very annoying. Yup. Nice analysis. And then another fact about snowboarders. They can drink significantly more than skiers. It's just in their genetics. Yeah, as a scientist, I can validate that fact. As a non-scientist, I can also validate that fact. <laughs> My alcohol intake has increased significantly since I've become <laughs> a snowboarder. <laughs> tolerance. Alcohol tolerance has increased. Ugh. Yeah, we even have flask <laughs> pockets designed into our pants. So there you go. More fun. But one of the things I really don't like about skiers actually in general is a lot of times they have this elitist attitude. It's considered a posh sport and they can be a bit stuck up. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that I think snowboarding has really started to challenge. Skiing has been around for like 6,000 years. Fake news. They've really been around for 8,000 years. They were first invented in 6,000 BCE. But math isn't easy for everyone. And I feel as though skiers have this sense of entitlement on the mountain or are rather territorial. But snowboarders have been like pushing up against that. And in 1965, actually, was the, when the grandfather of uh, snowboarding, Sherman Popper, attached two skis together because he was like trying to entertain his kids and then attached a lanyard to the end of them and then called it a snurfer, the hybrid between snow and surfing. Uh, so it's kind of like surfing on the snow, which was, was revolutionary, of course. But during that time period, you would see a ton of surfing. And so he brought that to land, which is really cool. 
Yeah, we, we highly debated calling this new rebranded podcast Snurf Speak, which would have been <laughs> yeah. really cool. <laughs> yeah. Snurf Speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Snurf Speak Pod. Yeah, it, it makes me feel, it, it reminds me of Smurfs, too. So, eh, probably not the best <laughs> analogy. Do you have something but... against Smurfs? <laughs> All of the things against them. See, this that skier attitude. Elitist. Uh. But no more. No more. We are now <laughs> No more. I'm cool. I'm hip. <laughs> and I think me saying it establishes that. Nope. <laughs> so anyway, so the next year, he actually ended up pa- patenting the idea. And he had friends that worked at this manufacturing company called Brunswick. And they started to mass produce the snurfers. And it just took off. So this product became the birthplace of what we now know as snowboarding. And actually, Burton is selling them um, as kind of a throwback. So you should definitely go check it out. Yep, it's only 150 bucks. But speaking of Burton, the late 70s to the early 90s was a very significant period in snowboarding history. There was this big rivalry of Jake Burton versus Tom Sims. Uh, They really hated each other. Jake Burton is quite obviously the founder of Burton Snowboards, and Tom Sims founded Sims Snowboards. Sims, he was a West Coast skateboarder, whereas Jake Burton, he was an East Coast Vermonter. Both were pioneers of the sport by introducing first versions of bindings to snowboards. These two improved the gear by adding something that you could connect your feet to. One of the things that I thought was really interesting with Burton and Sims is that they both pushed the sport forward, but in different tactics. So Sims was, I guess you could say, like far more adventurous. He and his friends and the people that were um, snowboarding with him would constantly be trying new tricks and going off jumps and created that half pipe. Um, So they were pioneers in terms of creativity, while Burton was far more savvy as a businessman. So it's really interesting that snowboarding wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for either of those two men. They pushed early popularity to the sport. So Burton, as Emily was saying, really campaigned for mountains to allow snowboarders. And he also pushed a lot of the competitions like the U.S. Snowboarding Championship at Stratton, for example. But ultimately, Burton is the icon of snowboarding and is significantly larger than Sims. Tom Sims, he kind of went back into his skateboarding roots. So he kind of faded off a bit. And everyone pretty much knows Burton these days. As a former skier, I will fully admit I had never heard of Sims as a snowboard brand, but I had heard of Burton. And I think that was because, like you said, Burton really pushed the innovation in terms of developing the gear. And with those developments, they became this well-known name, and most people now know the Burton name. But they've taken it further. They also sponsor the Stash, these wooden, organic-based terrain parks at a couple of resorts across the country. I think there's actually six in the world. Yep. They're really great. They're a lot of fun. I've been to the one in Killington. Burton also sponsors athletes and competitions. Um, the U.S. Open at Vail is typically sponsored by Burton every year as well. Yeah, which didn't happen mm. this year because fuck COVID again. Fuck COVID. Mittens COVID. So with the stash, Scott, this had me wondering, Craig... Kelly, he used to be uh, a sponsored athlete from First Sims and then transitioned over to Burton, and he died in an avalanche when he was in the backcountry. He was before like one of the super competitive 
athletes that push the sport forward. And he started to say, like, towards the end of his career that he was no longer really into the competitions, but using the land around him and using like more natural things to elevate the sport further. And so I'm wondering if that's Burton's nod to Craig Kelly um, by creating those more natural terrain parks. Um, yeah, wood-based versus the metal, definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's a really cool thought. Thanks. <laughs> but anyway, so in addition to just Burton being an incredible company, they have a nonprofit called The Chill Program, and it's been established since 1995, so it's pretty early on in snowboarding's history. But what they do is they take children... Just to clarify, Burton does not kidnap children. Um, ...and bring them to the mountains and introduce them to either snowboarding or bring them to the ocean for surfing, skateboarding. So using board sports and teaching them resiliency and you know empowering our youth. So it definitely has uh, some really amazing benefits, and they've impacted over 25,000 youth across 24 cities. So it's pretty great stuff that they're doing. Personally, I actually remember when Jake Burton passed away a couple of years ago, and I was really, really upset by it because Burton basically allowed this sport that I am super passionate about and have so much fun doing. He allowed that to grow and make it what it is today. You know, that actually hit me when he passed away somewhat unexpectedly. But his wife, Donna, has taken over as CEO of the company. She's amazing. The company still is doing amazing things. They do every year a ride for Jake day. So mm -hmm. keep your eyes out for that. So Burton, like I said, really brought snowboarding to what it is today by campaigning at various ski mountains across the country. Yeah, and that wasn't easy. There were a number of roadblocks, the first being that snowboarding was just straight up banned by ski resorts until the 80s because of the perception that skiers had about snowboarders. The resorts typically catered to older ski crowds, and when snowboarders arrived on the scene, they were thought of as unpopular and dangerous. This was overall just thought of as some teenage fad. When people were first looking at snowboarders coming onto the scene, a lot of skiers called them knuckle draggers, being the elitist assholes that they are. Let me just read you a quick definition of knuckle dragger. A large and rather dim-witted person. So a pretty negative perception of snowboarders. Yeah, it's terrible. It's so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the different aspects of snowboard culture that was looked on pretty negatively were spun that way because it was the 80s. There was the drive of punk and crazy haircuts, wearing like really bright colored snow gear. And it was high energy, which was very different than what the status quo was in terms of ski cultures. Using that high energy, these uh, kids would take their snowboards, walk up the mountains because they weren't allowed to purchase a lift ticket. And they would strap on, find a quiet trail to avoid any other patrons on the mountain. So it's cool to see them constantly pushing up against these boundaries or these roadblocks, as Scott said earlier. Yeah, fight the power. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back now, the initial thoughts, these negative culture that snowboarders brought has actually developed into a, a very integral part of ski culture. Like they couldn't have been more wrong about how this would yeah. influence the overall, you know, winter sports scene. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in some of our um, ski culture episodes as well. Uh, correction, snowboard culture. 
there were also many other roadblocks that snowboarders faced back in the day trying to get on these mountains. Uh, initially, some of the snowboarders were required to pass a test on certain mountains in order to show that they were capable of safely sharing the slopes with skiers. Is that not pretentious or what? <laughs> like, you have to pass a <laughs> test to enter this mountain to show me that you're not going to kill, kill skiers. Um, but yeah. a- another thing that they used... <laughs> Speaking of safety, my microphone just jumped at me. Okay, no, it looks like I'm good now. You need to pass a test to use that microphone. Yeah, no, microphones are hard. No, they're not. Uh, (laughs) Ski resorts also tried to use safety against snowboarders in a different way, saying that there was a lack of instructors, so snowboarders couldn't safely ride on the mountains. This is no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. It might have been valid at the time, but not anymore. Um, and, and as snowboarding became more mainstream, these roadblocks, right, the tests, the bans, and all these segregation policies started to fall by the wayside. Oh, yeah, that's another great point. Snowboarders weren't allowed to ride on certain parts of the mountain. They would be designated trails just for snowboarders. Yep. Whereas today, snowboarders make up a significant portion of the snowsport industry and economy and the popularity of it. So the first mountains to allow snowboarders stratton and suicide six up in vermont as well as breckenridge in colorado in the early 1980s uh, started allowing snowboarders and this is pretty crazy how the popularity boomed but during the 1984-85 season about 40 resorts allowed snowboarding but then by 1990 so only five years later 476 ski areas had opened their slopes to snowboarders holy moly it's incredible the amount of growth. That's absolutely ridiculous. You go from two to three, and two years later, it's 10 times as many. And then five years later, it's again 10 times as many as it was then. It's such a high growth percentage. I've got nothing. Words are hard. You know, you're doing really good with the math up until that last part of trying yeah. to come up with words. but. It really shows the interest in the sport and the way that it really blew up onto the scene during the 80s. One thing to mention with that, the gear was also improving incrementally like during that time as well, uh, which probably helped assuage some of the skiers' fears about how dangerous the snowboarders can be. And nowadays, like most mountains actually allow snowboarders, but it's still an issue today. There are still three different mountains, in the States anyway, that do not allow snowboarders. Um, That's Mad River Glen in Vermont, Alta and Deer Valley, which are just outside of Salt Lake City in uh, Utah. There's a funny YouTube video, shit Alta skiers say about snowboarders. It's funny and bad, but go watch it. It's worth it. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) Yeah, but these three mountains are the ones that I joked about in the teaser being my favorite mountains because snowboarders aren't allowed there. (laughs) If you didn't understand the joke then, now you're in on it. (laughs) Yep, now it makes sense. (laughs) It was funny. No, it wasn't. When talking about these mountains that were ski only and didn't allow snowboarders, there was actually another one up until 2007, which isn't really that long ago. Um, And this was Taos Ski Valley in New Mexico. So to challenge these four mountains that didn't allow snowboarders, Burton put out a contest called Power to the Poachers. And it was a $5,000 prize to the creator of the best video of a snowboarder poaching the slopes 
of these four resorts. And what poaching was is snowboarders going out, putting boards up and hiding them up on the mountain somewhere, and then getting out on the slopes, switching over to snowboards, and then riding around and filming themselves, doing some things that were a bit funnier, like slapping skiers in the butt or doing tricks in front of them (laughs) or just having a good time a lot of people were confused (laughs) as to what was going on why are there snowboarders here definitely go look up some videos of power to the poachers and this contest it had a lot of mixed reactions some were praising it some thought it was irresponsible but ultimately within days of even announcing the contest Taos announced that they would lift their ban the following spring. Hmm. Yeah, think about that. This contest didn't even run. It was just announced, and Taos said they were going to allow snowboarders. It's exactly what Burton Hmm. wanted, but it shows you the power that that had at that time to make as drastic of a change. It was a pretty good incentive, too. I mean, five grand to, like, go and... Have a good time, basically. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Be a little mischievous and break some rules. I'd take it. (laughs) power to the poachers power to the poachers yeah and so then part of this too is also pushing to get the sport more established and that of course goes to the most important and probably well-known competition the olympics in 1998 in japan the slalom as well as the half pipe were the first two snowboarding events that were presented Uh, There was also a lot of politics that went around with this, but it featured a lot of the contests that had huge aspect of um, snowboarding culture. Um, And those are probably two of the most popular that we still watch today. One of the first Olympians who won gold was stripped of his medal. Uh, This was Ross. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. It's uh, Rebagliati. Rebagliati. I know. I tried to practice it earlier. <laughs> yes. Rebagliati. Nailed it. Nailed it. Man, you butchered his name. That wasn't even close. Swing and a miss. Seven times. Poor Ross. Oh, uh, sorry, Ross, but he was awesome. So he was talking about how it was the best moment of his life to win the Olympics. And then he later found out that he was disqualified due to having traces of marijuana. Later, it was determined that wasn't a rule in the books at the time, so his medal was given back to him. But in a press conference, he explained that it was because of secondhand exposure to his friends who smoked weed and basically told the press, I'm not getting rid of my friends. Fuck all of this. I'm just going to have to wear a gas mask while I'm with them. <laughs> so it definitely like set a precedent. And funny enough, he actually owns a dispensary now in Canada, but he still claims that he did not smoke at that time. So who knows? But one thing that I find interesting is that snowboarding made its Olympic debut in 1998, like Emily had said. Salt Lake City, when they hosted the Olympics, uh, that was in 2002. So really they held the second snowboarding Olympics. But when I was that age, I definitely thought that snowboarding had been around forever. I didn't know any of the history or the politics behind it. It just seemed pretty natural, especially with it being in the US. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize that it hadn't been around. It still blows my mind that it was only the second Olympics it was featured. I remember it too and didn't think there was a time when it didn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, because I remember looking forward to watching it. So totally agree. Yeah, and I think there's a lot more exposure to snowboarding now. It has obviously more events and, and some of those are more prominent even so than the Olympics in the X Games. 
snowboarding is much more popular than skiing in the Winter X Games. We actually talked all about this in a, an episode of our shitty ski podcast back in the day. So go check that out if you want to listen and hear about the X Games. We share the sentiment across the board that we watch the X Games for the snowboarding more so than the skiing. So now that we are snowboarders, we can connect even further. Woohoo! I feel like I'm part of the cool club now. <laughs> Will you ever be part of the cool club, Emily? Probably not. <laughs> I was going to be nice and say that she's always been part of the cool club, but this is just the dynamic. <laughs> this is just the dynamic we have here at Snowboard Speak. <laughs> <laughs> So in order to elevate the sport to where it is, they needed pioneers. They needed some of the greatest athletes to really inspire other people to get out there and snowboard. So who were those pioneers outside of Sims and Burton? Well, Craig Kelly is often talked about as one of the greatest snowboarders of all time. Emily mentioned him before. Uh, Terrier is also on that list. And then a couple of other names, Jeremy Jones, he's a big mountain snowboarder. He founded a climate change political advocacy group. It's called Protect Our Winters. He founded that in 2007. So it's been around for a while. But it's really important. Go donate. Protect our winters. Yeah, they're far too short. Yeah, we got to keep our snow. Uh, Travis Rice is another one. He basically put together the Natural Selection Tour, which is essentially like a backcountry contest event. And that's really cool. And his goal there is to connect snowboarders to nature and bring it all together. Hmm. Um, from a female perspective, Tina Basich, Tara Dekaitis, they're up there as leaders in early snowboarding for women. More recently, Jamie Anderson has been uh, just crushing it in competitions, and she's very well known for that. Killing it. Killing it. <laughs> <laughs> and when you speak of competitions, you can't leave out Sean White, of course. Nope. He revolutionized the sport. Just his tenacity and how he approached competitions was like no one else. Yeah, even if you don't follow snowboarding, you probably know Sean White. You've heard it in passing. You've heard a friend talk about it. That's, that's what we used to talk about in school, too, was, oh, X Games, Sean White. Have you seen, did you see the 7,000 McFunkiness that he did yesterday or whatever it is? <laughs> yeah. 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 He's like the Tony Hawk of snowboarding. Yeah. Where you've probably yeah. heard of him, even if you don't follow the sport. Exactly. Really, really um, good point there. wonder where you got that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called plagiarism and <laughs> i may have stole it from one of my co-hosts and if you want to hear more about other awesome snowboarders there's a podcast that i listen to called the bomb hole so quick shout out to <laughs> sorry i saw you what, what, what is it what is it called <laughs> it's called the bomb hole oh sounds eerily close to something else but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so a quick shout out to the bomb hole. Uh, it's hosted by Chris Grenier and Eric Stone, also known as Gren Diesel and Stony Buds. But they interview a lot of these professional snowboarders, whether they're male, female, younger, older. You learn a lot just listening to all of these people. So it's a pretty good podcast. Sounds really interesting. I just have one question. What is a bomb hole? Yeah, so quick fun fact. A bomb hole is when you go off jumps and you're landing in powder and you basically make that divot in the snow. That's called a bomb hole. 
So <laughs> if you're ever watching or uh, listening to competitions, sometimes they'll say at the bottom of the jump, it gets bombed out because so many people have landed in that area and it makes it harder to land. Does it also count as a bomb hole when you fall face first onto ice? <laughs> asking, asking for a friend uh. here. <laughs> <laughs> clearly asking for yourself absolutely that is a bigger bomb hole than what they're used to but <laughs> actually emily and i when we went out to solitude recently i was doing some jumps in the woods and i bomb holed my face into the ground <laughs> so we can throw that on the youtube channel i'm excited to see that footage <laughs> yeah it was actually cool i was i was trying a 180 <laughs> that's it it's just a 180 it's a pretty pretty small number there <laughs> yeah no sean white but speaking of safety there is this age-old question of which is more dangerous snowboarding or skiing but the national ski areas association a couple years ago claims to have settled the question and the answer to that is that snowboarding is less risky in terms of ending in serious injuries or deaths around a third less likely to be killed on the slopes than skiers are and then most of the skiing deaths are just due to collisions of skiers hitting stationary objects. So like running into a tree, for example. <laughs> Actually, so just anecdotally, when I've seen some older people who snowboard, I ask them why they snowboard, how'd they get into it. But a lot of them say that it's way easier on their knees, way easier on their body and their joints than skiing. It's just a smoother motion, actually. Um, at Solitude Mountain, I took a shuttle and there was an old guy with a snowboard and another guy with skis and so I asked him I was like oh like how long have you been snowboarding like what made you switch and he basically went on to shit on skiing and he was like yeah I picked it up like I blew out my knee and it's way safer and a little bit harder to learn but easier to get in the flow of things and so it's just like interesting to see older people like in their 60s and 70s embrace the sport for those reasons too. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. And I feel like starting younger to transition to snowboarding is going to really save our knees. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. For sure. But forget <laughs> safety. Nobody cares about that. Snowboarding, it just <laughs> looks cooler, right? It's so cool. Yeah. You are the popular people on the mountain. Every skier wants to be you when they see you. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't want to go sideways first? It's so much cooler looking then. <laughs> Than going front first. It's not that for me. It's definitely the boots and the clothing, the really fun fashion. And maybe if I can get like a pocket flask pocket, that'd be great. <laughs> nice. The pocket flask yeah. pocket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a pocket for my flask. There we go. Uh, another thing that, that's great about snowboarding compared to skiing, it might be a little bit harder to learn, but it's easier to master. It's easier mm -hmm. to get to that top level than when you're skiing. And one thing that's also really nice is on a powder day, because of the surface area of the board, it's a much floatier feeling going through powder. It's like you're surfing on a cloud. It's the greatest sport in the world. It definitely is the greatest sport in the world. And... Uh... I'm just so lucky to be able to be on the mountain and enjoy all the things that it has to offer. We have a lot to look forward to with Snowboard Speak moving forward. We have a couple of interviews with professionals lined up, actually, which we're not going to spoil the beans. Spill the beans? <laughs> you just spoiled the beans again. 
<laughs> we have not brought that up in a very long time. <laughs> oh, well played. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I know you snowboard fan. We're missing those. <laughs> but yes, we do have a pretty big name celebrity in the snowboard world potentially joining us. Again, we don't want to say who it is, but the name might rhyme with Ron Smite. <laughs> <laughs> who could that be? <laughs> it's definitely not Sean White. No, no, that's what? too obvious. That would be too obvious. No, no. <laughs> but maybe it is. <laughs> Guys, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this. I'm so glad we're snowboard speak. Me too. And to snowboard with all of you guys. Yeah, we're definitely excited to get out there on the mountain. So, listeners, welcome to Snowboard Fam. He's been waiting to say that for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it happened. Thanks for listening to Snowboard Speak. Join us next time as we continue the stories, facts, laughs, and of course the embellishment. See you on the mountain. Snowboard fam. Um, do you want to pause here? Do you want to go through bumhole first? <laughs> bumhole. You just called bum. bumhole. It's fucking like eleven thirty, guys. I'm trying here. You're doing great. I should have saved the bumhole for the actual podcast. <laughs> what is a bumhole? Uh, <laughs> oh man, I have to. I have to play off of that now. Those dumb skiers, their dim settings must be too high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, idiots. Did, did you guys get that joke or no? Yes, yeah. Because it's a, it's a dim. Because they're dim. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, but I say dim. Oh, Emily you call calls, them you call actually them dim? calls it a dim setting sometimes. Oh, that's definitely one we need to keep the explanation of in there because it has a double (laughs) meaning. I thought you were just calling skiers dim by playing off the din setting. So both work, but that's even better. Yeah, and he's also making fun of me because I couldn't figure out what skiing terminology was. So it's a good thing I'm a snowboarder now. Yeah, great. That's perfect. I can learn all of the jump terms and actually own it. (laughs) Nose grab. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Emily's going to be out so, there grabbing her actual nose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this will be classic. <laughs> but forget safety. It looks cool unless you're grabbing your nose. Yes. 
But yes, we do have a pretty big name celebrity in the snowboard world potentially joining us. Again, we don't want to say who it is, but the name might rhyme with Schmon Schmite. It was so much worse. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to talk to John Bright. <laughs> oh, that would have been so much better. That would have been so much better. <laughs> Schmon. <laughs> <laughs> Shmon, I put an M in his name, and then I said his last name was Smite. <laughs> well, you're killing it. Blooper. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Should I say that? I should Guys, say that again. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Go for it. So yes, we do have a relatively big name in the snowboarding world joining us for our next episode. And again, we don't want to tell you exactly who it is. All I can tell you <laughs> I can't tell you anything cuz I'm laughing. All I can tell you is <laughs> I'm having my Emily moment. <clears throat> All I can tell you is that their name... I can't even fucking do it anymore. Fuck. Thanks for listening.